Good morning and praise God. It's another wonderful time that we have gathered one more time to continue uh, stirring each other into love and good works. And I'm sure that we have come to that persuasion that we cannot do that except using the scriptures that are rightly divided. And so thank you for organizing your time to be here. I trust that you are well. And we shall continue to um, study the scriptures with the hope that, yes, as our brother Johnson has prayed, that the experience of these two disciples will also be ours. And I want to believe that this has been our experience as often as we continue to avail ourselves to be instructed in God's word. And so today we shall um, examine part 10b of this series. And I'd like us to read the head scripture that we have taken from Luke 24, verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? And this, in a sense, is a rhetorical question, because indeed this was the experience of these two disciples who, as you may remember, from verse 13, Jesus joins them, but they did not recognize him. But this is what happened after Christ broke bread with them, beginning at Moses. And I hope that that continues to just help us to understand that the scriptures cannot be opened to us any other way. We must begin where Christ began. And I think we have been taught in the past that if we attempt to begin anywhere else, what we are saying is that we are smarter than him. And so two weeks ago, we looked at John, and we shall say the following, just by way of reminder, that when Jesus joined these two disciples, their eyes were restrained from knowing him. They were sad as they spoke to one another, and Christ described them as foolish, slow of heart, to believe the Old Testament scriptures. But Christ did not leave them there. He began to expound the scriptures to them. And thankfully, he began at Moses. And Christ opened their eyes, and they knew him. Christ opened the scriptures to them, and that is what they have reported uh, between them in verse 32 that we have read. And these two disciples went to join the rest of the disciples. And having joined the rest, Jesus taught them that everything written concerning him in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. And we see that with this rest of the disciples as well as these two who had joined them by this time, Christ opened their understanding that they might comprehend, that they might understand the scriptures. And I submit to us, dear friends, that Christ alone can open our eyes that we may know him. And this he does one way as he opens the scriptures to us. And therefore, there is no opening of our eyes without the scriptures being opened. That cannot happen. And it is only Christ who can open our understanding so that we may understand the scriptures. And I'm sure that this helps us as we pray for the spiritually blind because none of us has capacity to open the eyes of another. It is only Christ. And therefore, let us be encouraged as we have been again reminded that our prayers for the spiritually blind is not in vain. Our being here today is um, enough of a proof that yes, Christ does open the eyes of the spiritually blind. How do we know that the scriptures are open to us? They are open to us when we receive mature understanding of Christ, the anointed one to rule. And this of necessity must take us be to matters beyond the gospel of the grace of God, to the gospel of the glories of Christ. And that is to say that for all those years that we only knew the gospel of the grace of God, the scriptures were not open to us, but God is gracious. And there is no possibility of anyone knowing Christ except through the scriptures. There is no possibility, none whatsoever. And I'm sure that if you are like me, we have come from, you know, that setup where we would be told of how Christ appeared in dreams and told people to do this and that. But I hope that we now realize as we continue to study the scriptures, we can only know Christ in the scriptures that must be rightly divided. 
And John appears to be, or rather John is one of the disciples that Christ had opened his understanding. And this enabled him to draw from the typology of the tabernacle as we saw as he writes his uh, epistle, 1 John 1. And as you read um, other portions of the three epistles that he writes, you may remember that he even writes concerning Cain and Abel, saying that Cain was of the wicked one. He is drawing all this from the Old Testament now that his eyes have been opened. And I doubt that any one of us will write any part of Scripture, but it is just to encourage us that when the Scriptures are opened to us, you know, our hearts will burn within us. And based on our faithfulness, our availability, the Lord will use us as conduits to share these truths with others through His grace, only in His time and in His style. And I'm sure that the reason we are here today is because there were people that God would use to bring us to this understanding. We didn't come to this understanding in a magical way or in a miraculous way. There were people like you and I that were gracious enough and based on their faithfulness and their availability, you know, they were used by the Lord as conduits. And would the Lord want to do the same with us? I want to subscribe to us that yes, he would desire to use us as well. And the only thing that he requires of us is to be faithful, is to be available. And I think what that means is that you and I have to come to a good understanding, have a good grasp of this truth so that when he opens those doors for us, then that we shall equally be used of him to reach out to others. So let's continue and look at this um, next part of this lesson. They return to Jerusalem. After the scriptures were opened to these two disciples, interestingly enough, they made a return journey to Jerusalem, where they reported to the rest what had happened on the road. And reading Luke 24, 32 to 33 and then 35, and they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Remember by this time they have walked from Jerusalem to the village and the evening had certainly set in and that is why they told, they, they told Christ in verse 29, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. I want to believe that by the time they are making this journey, it was already night time. But you see, there is something about the scriptures having been opened to these two disciples, that it did not matter to them what time of the night it was. They made a U-turn and went back. And you know what they did when they went back to Jerusalem? They told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them. It was nothing else. And Christ appeared to them. And we know from our last lesson that he opened the understanding of all those that were gathered together. And then he instructed them to remain in Jerusalem. Reading verse 46 to 49 of Luke 24. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And after they witnessed the ascension of Christ 40 days later, the disciples returned to Jerusalem, just as Christ has instructed them. Reading verse 51 and 52, Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The scriptures we have seen were open to these two disciples as they made a seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem. 
Likewise, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was also making a journey, presumably to Ethiopia, away from Jerusalem in Acts 8. And we did see that Jerusalem was the center of leavened teachings. Are, there, are these two disciples and the rest therefore being told to go back to the center of leavened teachings so that they can be enmeshed in the leavened teachings? That would sound like a contradiction. The return journey therefore by these two and the other disciples who witnessed his ascension is in no way a contradiction to what we have learned thus far. But this is a manifestation of God's love for the many in Jerusalem who were spiritually blind. We know from 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were blinded, Paul says. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And Jesus himself in John 10, having spoken of himself as a good shepherd, says in verse 15 and 16, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and, the, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The good shepherd was compelled by his love for the other sheep, presumably the Jews who had not embraced his teaching, owing to the failure of their religious leaders who abandoned their responsibility. We read this in Matthew 9, 36 to 38, and this is Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know the interesting bit about the opening of the scriptures is that when God does it for us, it's not exclusive to us. And that is why every time we pray, we remind ourselves that that is where we were. But there are many that are still in that state where the scriptures are not open to them. They are still blind to this truth. And therefore, it is to tell us that we are to avail ourselves to pray. In other words, because the scriptures have been opened to us, this is not a private and confidential affair. It is incumbent upon us, dear friends, to be mindful of those who are still in that state of spiritual blindness. And you know, it doesn't mean that therefore we are to go, you know, knocking doors and telling people, you know, this is the gospel of the glory of Christ. I'm sure that we have seen that there is wisdom that we are to apply. And I believe that the first place is at the place of prayer, that we are to contract a burden, so to speak, for the rest that are yet to come to this truth. And we may want to see this as also the re-offer of the kingdom that we know is um, in the book of Acts. And prior to his ascension, Jesus gave his disciples a command. And we know this from Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And the disciples, therefore, we see, were tasked to go and make disciples of all the nations, <coughs> teaching them, to observe all the things that he had commanded them. And I want to believe that the things that he has commanded them has everything to do with the kingdom. One cannot be a, a disciple of Jesus if to begin with they have not received spirit salvation. And therefore this mandate has nothing to do with those that are lost. This has everything to do with those who have received spirit salvation. Let's compare this to Mark's account in Mark 16 verse 15 to 18. 
And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The disciples were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the one who had the gospel believed and was baptized, Jesus says, they will be saved. Now the word believes, which is in present continuous tense, and the action of baptism are in no way applicable to the salvation of the spirit. Rather, they apply to the salvation of the soul. And maybe we ask, why? Number one, believing to the saving of the soul is a persuasion that we are to have, not once, but on a daily and continuous basis. And that's why Paul, in Romans 1.16, the first part of it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, he says. And so that act of believing is a daily and a continuous one. But number two, Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized. Now baptism is a work. And we know that works are not required for one to receive the salvation of the Spirit. But rather, works are the product of receiving Spirit salvation. What do we mean? That we are not saved because of works, but we are saved to perform good works. And this is what we read from Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved because of good works, but we are saved that we may perform good works that God prepared beforehand. And therefore in this instruction in Mark 16, Christ is sending the disciples to those who had already received spirit salvation, which by extension therefore would be the Jews in this particular context, because he also speaks about signs following those who believe. And signs that uh, he mentions here include speaking in new tongues, casting demons, laying hands on the sick. And we know from scripture that signs are for the Jews, who by then had received spirit salvation. And therefore Christ is sending his disciples specifically to the Jews. We know in 1 Corinthians 1.22, for Jews request a sign, and Greeks, speaking of Gentiles, seek after wisdom. Does it not intrigue us, just looking at how much the leaven has done? Matthew 28, Mark 16, is now a mandate that the church has taken and run with. And that is why we have so much activity. And I'm sure that if you were to stop me um, giving myself as an example before coming to this understanding of the word of the kingdom, I would persuade you from these scriptures that this is what Christ has told us. But now we know better that Christ is sending the disciples to the Jews specifically because of the re-offer of the kingdom. But before the disciples could embark on this mandate, they had to wait, as Jesus said, in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from above. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking to them tells them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's skip over then to the book of Acts and see the scriptures closed to Peter and compare that to the scriptures opened to him. After the resurrection of Christ, 
the disciples obeyed his instructions by remaining in Jerusalem, continuing in verse 12 to 14 of Acts 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And true to his promise, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples while they were in the upper room. Reading Acts chapter number 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this turn of events brought with it great amazement as well as a great deal of confusion among the Jews who had these disciples each speaking in his own language. To some, the disciples were merely drunk with wine and Peter sought to demystify this reading Acts 2, verse 12 to 16. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk as some as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we know that Peter is among the disciples. In Luke 24, verse 45, there about who, whose understanding Jesus opened so that he could comprehend the scriptures. Let us look at Peter before the scriptures are opened to him. Peter could not countenance the death of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You know, drawing from the wisdom from below, or earthly wisdom, Peter refutes the very same words of Christ. You know, that is what happens when the scriptures are not open to us. And I'm sure that Peter might have meant well. But you know, dear friends, it's not about the intention that we have. It is about faithfulness to what the scriptures have said. The fact that Christ has told them that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer many things, he must be killed and be raised the third day, drawing from the Old Testament scriptures, there was no way that Peter could have changed that. There was no form of persuasion that Peter could have given Christ not to go to Jerusalem. Otherwise, Christ would have disobeyed the scriptures. In a manner of speaking, therefore, when the scriptures are close to us, then even with the best of intentions that we have, chances are high we might actually be encouraging people to disobey the scriptures. Let's look at the events before the arrest of Jesus Christ in Mark 14, verse 27 to 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you, all of you will be made to stumble because of me, this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. 
Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But speaking of Peter, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Two things in this passage. Christ is telling his 12 disciples that they will be made to stumble because of him, because it is written. And Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, not may be scattered. And it doesn't say some might be scattered. But Peter tells Jesus on his face, even if all are made to stumble the way you have said it is written, I am the exception. I will not be made to stumble. And then Jesus, for the second time, tells him, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. What does Peter do? He defends himself and tells Jesus, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. You know, it is that phrase that we use, over my dead body. And Peter was emphatic and persuaded that even though Christ had said that they would be made to stumble, he was an exception. In other words, Peter is saying, no, what you have said is not true. What you have quoted from the Old Testament is not true because I will not be made to stumble. And I'm sure again, Peter meant well. Let's look at the events after the arrest of Christ in Matthew's account, chapter 26, verse 69 to 74. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. If you compare that to what Jesus had said in Mark 14, 27 to 31, specifically 31, I mean 30, Jesus had told Peter, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. What happened of Peter's word that if I have to die with you, I will not deny you? You see, it's not a competition between our word and his word. God's word has got more power than our word. And you know, Christ was not lying because his word cannot return to him void. Of necessity, Peter had to, had to deny Christ just as Christ had said. And you can see the progression. Number one, he denied before them. Then the second time, he denied with an oath. This was a serious matter, what he's saying. I don't know this man. And a little later, he even began to curse and he took a, he swore. He told them, I don't know the man. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. And dear friends, I submit to us that the truth of the matter is that unless the scriptures are open to us, we do not know him. And for us today, knowing Christ is knowing him in the scriptures. There is no other way. If we say this differently, the degree to which we know the scriptures, rightly divided, is the degree to which we know Christ. Anything else is deception. And I doubt that any one of us at any given time will say the same words that Peter said in verse 70, 72, and 74. I do not know what you are saying. I do not know the man. I do not know the man. I doubt that any one of us in our lifetime will come to this point where we are told you are one of them and then we will say, I do not know the man. The interesting bit is that for us, our denying of him actually happens in the works that we do. 
that when we walk apart from faith, what we are doing, we are denying our knowledge of him. What about the events after the resurrection of Christ? From John's account, chapter mm -hmm. 20, verse 1 to 7. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been put, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. The report that Christ had resurrected as attested to by the women sounded like idle tales to the disciples. Among them was Peter. In fact, he had to go to the tomb as we have seen in person to ascertain this report. And reading Luke's account, chapter 24, verse 11 to 12, and their words that Christ had resurrected seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. There was unbelief in this case. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Earlier on, there was a young man who was clothed in a long white robe who appeared to the women in the tomb. And this young man singled Peter out when talking to them about Christ in Mark 16, verse 6 to 7. But he said to them, this is the young man speaking to the women, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go... Tell his disciples and Peter that is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. You know, maybe Peter at this point was discouraged, I don't know. Maybe he had looked at himself and seen, sure enough, I have denied him three times. And maybe he felt discouraged. I don't know whether that could be the case. But this young man singled out Peter in his statement, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. Certainly, Peter and the other disciple who ran to the tomb must have been puzzled at what they had just seen. And as a result, they went to their own homes, continuing in John 20, verse 8 to 10. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. They did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, despite the fact that he had told them enough times that I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be crucified, but I will rise again. They did not know. And when this other disciple comes to the tomb and going in, he saw and he believed. And I wonder what exactly he believed. There is a persuasion that he, he believed that indeed they had taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And as reported by Mary Magdalene, when she tells them as much, he saw and I'm sure he was, it was very clear to him, they have taken his body. Why? because they did not know the scripture. And that was Peter's predicament. And by extension, that was our predicament. For there was a time that we did not know the scripture. But what happened when the scriptures were opened to Peter? After the events in Luke 24, where Christ opened the understanding of his disciples to comprehend the scriptures, the book of Acts 
opens with the Holy Spirit descending upon them, and herein we find a much changed Peter. And I hope that this comes to us as an encouragement. By this time, Peter was now able to put together, to comprehend the Old Testament scriptures from where he brought clarity as to what had happened in the upper room. And to do this, he turned to Joel's prophecy. If you were to read Acts 2, 17 to 21, which I encourage us to do in our own time, you will realize that this is a quotation from Joel chapter number 2, verse 28 to 32, where Joel, Joel the prophet recorded this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And this is purely Jewish. Peter affirms to the multitude before him that the now exalted Christ poured out his spirit. Jumping to Acts 2.33, Therefore, Peter says, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. What Peter is telling them, whatever you are mocking us, that we are drunk with new wine is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament. And therefore, this that you are seeing is Christ having poured out his Spirit upon us. By this time, Peter is drawing from the wisdom from above. And going on with his sermon, Peter speaks expressly concerning Jesus Christ. Continue in verse 22 of Acts chapter number 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And just like Jesus had done when expounding to his two disciples as well as the rest, Peter teaches that all scripture is about one person and that is Jesus Christ and his work either past, present or future. And I like the fact that Peter is saying in verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, Peter has understood that according to the Old Testament, Christ had to die. And by acknowledging that Jesus of Nazareth was attested to God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him, Peter is drawing the attention of the multitudes to the typology that is given in the law of Moses. Because finding his people, Israel, under Egyptian oppression, the Lord sent Moses to deliver them. However, we know that Moses was skeptical. In Exodus 4.1, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And in response, the Lord enabled Moses to perform signs through which the Israelites would believe. Continuing in verse 8 and 9 of Exodus 4, then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, 
the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And sure enough, when these signs were performed, we find that the Israelites believed, as is recorded in verse 29 to 31 of Exodus 4. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is Peter. When the scriptures have been opened to him, he was able to draw from the typology of the Old Testament to bring a message to the Jews concerning Christ. And beyond this, we find Peter teaching that the death of Christ, as we have said, was a result of the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. What Peter is telling the Jews is that the death of Christ was foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. If you compare that to the experience in Matthew 16, you can tell that there is a difference that has taken place. How was it foretold in the Old Testament? We can use two examples. One, Cain killing his brother Abel pointed to a brother killing another. And this is Israel killing his brother Christ in Genesis 4.8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Number two, we can look at the Passover lamb because it was given to the Jew only to slay the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 verse 3 and 6. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. It was the Jew who had to kill the lamb. And this was a picture of the Jews crucifying their Messiah, just as Peter tells them in verse 23, you have taken, have crucified, and put to death. And Peter did not stop there. He turned to Psalm 16 to teach about the death and resurrection of Christ because he says in Acts 2.31, he, foreseeing this, speaking of David, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And then we see Peter concluding his sermon or teaching or message with a declaration that Jesus is a Christ in verse 36 of Acts chapter number 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And you see there was a progression with Peter's message. He draws his listeners from the beginning and he brings them to that point of just letting them know that Jesus who was crucified is certainly the Christ, the Messiah. And because Peter drew from the Old Testament, rightly dividing the scriptures, guess what? There was conviction among the Jews. And in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter relied wholly on the Old Testament scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms to point the Jews to Christ. This time around with Peter's eyes being opened to the scriptures, it was no longer his impulses. It was not his opinion. It was not even his goodwill. It was not his best intentions that mattered as was his experience when the scriptures were open to him, were close to him. Rather, it was the scriptures and the scriptures alone. 
And I'm persuaded, dear friends, that when we put the scriptures together as they should be, and we add to the fact that we are to be faithfully obedient to the scriptures, then the results that we see in Acts chapter number 2 will equally be the results that we shall see. The thing that encourages me, dear friends, about Peter is this. We all know the flaws that Peter had. We all know the gaps, scripturally speaking, that Peter had. Do you remember that it was Peter who cut the ear of one of the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus? It is this very same Peter. And when the scriptures were opened to him, Peter was a transformed man. And you know, it can be the same with us as well. I'm sure that we can relate with Peter in terms of his flaws, in terms of his gaps, in terms of his shortcomings. What shall we say about his temperament and all that that we know concerning Peter? The encouraging thing for us today is that we have the choice to be filled with the Spirit as we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And these very same results will not be any different. Paul in Ephesians 5.18, the second part and 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord as a result of being filled with the Spirit, that we shall speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. If you remember what happened in Acts chapter number 2, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, the scriptures tell us that they were filled with the Spirit. But if you look at the Greek text, the word fulfilled, speaking of the disciples, in, in, Ephesians, I mean in Acts chapter number 2, and the Greek word fulfilled here in Ephesians 5.18 are two different words. And that is just but to help us to realize that when we are filled with the Spirit, there is no possibility of us, like the disciples, speaking in tongues as they did, because that is also given as a sign to the Jews. We finish with this same scripture that we read last time in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 1 to 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to believe that the call has gone out for us to be faithful for the simple reason that as we become faithful that the Lord will equally entrust us as his conduits to share the truth concerning him and his coming kingdom to others. Will we heed the call? You know, do you have shortcomings? Peter had them too. Do I have shortcomings? I have them too. Do you have gaps? Peter had gaps as well. I do have gaps as well. It's just to tell us, dear friends, that God is calling us the way we are. And that if we become faithful, if we choose to be faithful, then the Lord in his own time, in his own style, he will bring people our way that he may entrust us to also share these truths with them. That is to tell us that we cannot afford to be passive. We are to be active. Let us appropriate his grace for Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the <coughs> grace that is in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father and our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and we bless you this morning that you are pleased to gather us, O God. We thank you for your word. You have taught us that your word is plain, but to him who understands. And gracious God, what a transformation in the life of Peter, from one who did not know the scripture that Christ had to rise from the dead, to one now who is teaching others, concerning this very same Christ, drawing 
from the scriptures because now the scriptures were open to him. And gracious God, our desire, our prayer is that, Lord, you shall do the same even with us this morning. We thank you that, Lord, we can identify in very many ways with Peter prior to the scriptures being opened to him. And gracious God, we thank you that you would give Peter to us as an encouragement. And we pray that, Lord, even as Paul would write to Timothy, that we would be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the grace that we receive by faith. And Lord, we know that you're inviting us to be at the well of your word. Thank you that, dear God, the only qualification that you're looking for is faithfulness. And that gracious God, even as there are men who are faithful and you sent our way, and today, dear Father, you've opened the scriptures to us, we thank you that you're also inviting us, dear Lord, to be faithful and peradventure, Lord, in your time and in your style, that you may send us to other people, dear God, who are yet in the Laodicean environment. Because, God, it is your desire that all men may be saved and come to the knowledge of this truth. So, God, we thank you and pray that we shall indeed appropriate your grace on a day-to-day -day basis to be at the well of your word. And the Lord, even as you continue to warm our heart, and dear Lord, even as you open the scriptures to us and our understanding so that we may comprehend the scriptures, the Lord, we shall be faithful men who will also extend this very same experience, dear Father, or revelation to other people. We bless you and we honor you and pray the Lord, we shall do all this, dear Father, with a desire that on that day when we stand before you, that yet again, you will speak of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, we thank you that faithfulness is all you're looking for. Would you help us this morning? We thank you and we bless you because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.